I'm Audrey Cooper, the editor-in-chief of the San Francisco Chronicle, and today on Fifth Emission, dire new warnings about the coronavirus. San Francisco has declared a state of emergency, and the markets are down a second day due to global concerns about the spreading disease. It has sickened at least 80,000 people and killed nearly 3,000, nearly all of them in China. The Centers for Disease Control has come out with some of their strongest statements yet, telling local governments to prepare to cancel mass gatherings and that schools should consider internet-based teleschooling should the virus continue to gain traction. Officials even said that the Summer Olympics could be affected. Joining me today to talk about the latest on this story are health reporters Aaron Alday and Catherine Ho. So, Aaron, about two weeks ago, you were on this podcast saying we would know in two weeks how serious this would be. So what do we know? Uh, we know a lot in those two weeks. Um, we definitely the, the the major kind of change shift in that time is we're now seeing these clusters of cases, these outbreaks occurring outside of China. Um, I think there are five or six countries, um, Italy, Iran, South Korea, Japan, a couple of other places where the cases um, are really climbing. And in some cases, they don't know where people got infected, which would show that it's spreading in the community or suggest that. Um, and the quarantine efforts are sort of mixed in some of these countries. Um, Italy has seen a lot of cases just already kind of spreading around the country. Um, and one thing that folks are worried about and folks that I talked to today is, you know, European borders are pretty porous. Um, there's a lot of travel among countries. So if you see this in Italy, it's probably not too long before we see this in other countries. And at some point, you know, there's only so much we can control at the border in the United States. Um, and I think what we're seeing now is with this, this spread is that this is not contained to China. This is now going to be a pandemic. It's a global thing. And it's just a matter of time before it arrives here. So the last time we spoke, um, we didn't know very much about the disease itself and whether it was particularly deadly. What do we know about the people who are contracting the virus and those who are dying from it? So we actually know quite a bit more. Um, China has done a fair amount of studies, large studies of patients who have been um, diagnosed with this. And what they've found is the good news is about 80 percent of cases appear to be mild. Um, so that's, you know, that's that's great. That's, um, you know, mild illness would be like a cold, like the common cold. Um, not hospitalization. Not hospitalization like at all. That. These would be people who you wouldn't even know you had anything other than a common cold, probably. Maybe a little bit worse than that. Um, but what they found that's, that's troubling is about 15% of cases um, are serious, meaning they require hospitalization. So we're talking pneumonia. We're talking pretty severe illness. Um, and about 5% are um, very severe, meaning that they essentially end up in the ICU on a, a respiratory. They need help breathing. Um, and those are the folks that are dying. And the death rate has stayed pretty stable at about 2%. Um, to put that in context, the death rate from influenza is about 1%. Um, so 2%, you know, SARS was, te was 10%. Um, so it's far less than that. It's It could be a lot worse. And 2% is not that deadly as these things go. The concern is if this thing gets here and it really blows up in communities and a lot of people get sick, 2% of a large number of people is a lot of people who could die. Um, and the people who are dying are definitely people who are older, who have other health problems. Um, so yeah, that's, you know, there's a definite risk of that. And also if you have, you know, 20% of people are having serious illness, that's a pretty big strain on our, on our healthcare system. Sometimes when we have these 
uh, global pandemics, children are also uniquely affected. And I haven't seen a lot of reporting about what it's doing to young people. I see a lot of, you know, the immunosuppressed and the elderly people. But what about children? Actually, interestingly, uh, they do have an a separate kind of case here, and it's that children aren't as badly affected. And nobody's really sure why that is just yet. There's a lot of theories, some being that most of the study is based out of China. Some is that kids just haven't been to the places where most of these infections started. They were mostly places where adults were. But this is widespread enough that folks, I think, believe that children, there's probably something about their immune system something going on that actually is protective. And it's also possible that there may be a lot of kids who have very mild disease. And because kids get a lot of colds, nobody's taking them in to get treated and diagnosed. So there may just be a lot of this out there circulating that we just don't recognize as coronavirus. How do we know about how it is actually spreading? Like, can you get it if you touch a a railing that somebody who is infected touches it. What do we know about how long it actually lives in the environment? I don't think we know the answer to that just yet. Uh, From what I've seen, it's pretty likely that this is, uh, it spreads by droplets. So, you know, when you sneeze, when you cough, it's actual droplets that are in the air. Um, And that means that they can land on something and they can live for a while and you can, in fact, touch that and then touch your face and get it that way. It's probably somewhat similar to the flu, which I don't know off the top of my head how long that is. But, you know, it's not too long that these things live. It's not more than a couple hours. Not um, like the measles where it, no, exactly. it could exist in an area long hours and hours after the it's person It's nothing, lives. definitely nothing like the measles. We know that now. Um, and it's and it's probably not aerosolized at all. So it's not something that just sort of floats up into the air. And if you're just in the same space as somebody who's sick, it it has potential to infect you. You have to be close to them. So given the the containment efforts in China and the restrictions on travel, why did it blow up in Italy and Iraq and South Korea? Why why these countries? Do we have any idea? I mean, that's part of the problem is we don't know. Um, it probably has something to do with just, you know, a couple of individuals. Um, in some cases, they've been able to trace it to, you know, a specific, I think there were cases in, um, was it? Germany. There was some country in Europe where there they were able to trace a handful of cases to a particular hotel, like a particular space. So I think there's been a conference that happened in Singapore that several cases have been traced to. So, you know, a lot of times you can, if you trace things back, identify kind of that pathway. And, you know, they probably have done that. I think in Iran they've done that. Um, but that's part of the concern is like in Italy, they don't know. They haven't been able to do that, which is very concerning because then it's just there in the community. And if you don't know where it came from, then that just means you don't know where it's going. So, Catherine, you've written about how we have more than 8,000 people in California alone on home quarantine. I hear the words home quarantine, and I think that can't possibly work. (laughs) What is it, and why are there so many people who are self-segregating like this? So this is for people who are flying home from China recently, uh, and not just Hubei province, um, where the virus is believed to have started, but just China generally. Um, There are still some flights coming back, um, and these passengers are being advised by federal health officials to stay home for two weeks um, and monitor any symptoms they may have. A lot of them are likely not showing any symptoms at all, um, and it's just kind of done out of an abundance of caution. Uh, And the way it works is 
the feds will tell the state public health department a list of names every morning, and then the state then shares uh, that list with local health departments, and it's the local health departments who are checking in um, on these people every day through emails, calls, texts, that kind of thing. And what do they say when they check in with them? Like, are you sure you didn't go to Safeway today, or you know, what, how, how, how does that work? Yeah. Um, Aaron can probably talk about this a little bit more, but it's just to make sure they are not starting to exhibit um, some of those symptoms. And if they are, to make sure that they are uh, not going to school or to work um, and, you know, washing their hands and trying not to cough on people if they, you know, have roommates and kind of separate themselves from other people as much as possible. Yeah. And to add on that, I mean, they're not actually under a super strict quarantine. People are, in fact, told that, you know, if they need to, they can go to Safeway. Um, They should try to keep their distance if they need to do that. And I mean, if they can at all possible, they should get family or friends to do that for them. But not everybody has those resources. So this isn't like a super strict, like the people who were on the cruise ship who are under really tight quarantine at Travis um, Air Force Base. These are folks who are being just advised, um, you know, you're at risk. It's considered medium risk. Just stay away from people. Keep your distance um, for two weeks. Don't go to school. Don't go to work. And let us know if you're not feeling well. So today, Mayor London Breed declared a state of emergency in San Francisco. That sounds very scary. What does that actually mean and what does it do? Um, So it frees up some potentially federal funding to go to San Francisco. And this is what Santa Clara County did uh, a week or two ago after they had two reported cases there. I don't think there's any reason to be alarmed, you know, if you're a San Francisco resident today. I think it gives public health officials a little bit more leeway and flexibility to um, address the virus if it should come to that. So we have a a huge uh, Chinese-American population and a huge number of tourists from China who come into San Francisco, and yet we have had no cases here. Um, we do have somebody, I believe, who's being treated at a local hospital who came from outside of the county. So that doesn't sound like a state of emergency to me. Um, why are they so concerned specifically in San Francisco? Well, I think that tells you um, a little bit about where the CDC is at and this sort of amping up of of the um, advisories. Um, you know, with this thing, again, taking off in other parts of the country, it's just a matter of time. It's what they're saying. It's just a matter of time before it gets here to the United States. And for all the reasons you just mentioned, this being, you know, a large population of people from China who go back and forth with China um, and that being still the source of infection, this would be a likely place where we would see the first outbreaks to occur occur when they do happen in this country. Now, that doesn't promise it, um, but that's just it's it's reasonable for them to start putting that preparedness into place. And that could mean, you know, they're they're talking with schools about you guys need to start thinking right now, how are you going to teach kids if you have to close four weeks at a time? How are you going to communicate with families that are under quarantine? How are you going to, you know, if, so, if a kid shows up at school sick, what is your response? Um, they're telling hospitals to be thinking now, how are you going to triage people if you get large numbers of patients? Um, and then telling businesses and that they need to start thinking about, you know, talking to employees today, how are you going to telecommute if you need to do that, if you can do that? One of the places where a lot of the um, U.S. cases seem to have come from is from this cruise ship that you mentioned. And last week we spoke to two people who were in quarantine in San Antonio, uh, Northern California residents who had come off 
the Diamond Princess cruise ship. What do we know about what happened there? So that is basically a, I believe it's a single case that was on that ship and then just kind of branched out from there. Um, I think they're up to several hundred, like 500 or so that have now been infected from that cruise ship. Um, But that just, you know, it was several thousand people trapped on this cruise ship off the coast of Japan just waiting to get infected. Um, And the United States about a week ago, you know, decided to repatriate um, the uh, most of the Americans who are on board there, which was about 300 people, um, just to kind of get them out of this this situation. Um, Unfortunately, you know, I think already 40 of them have tested positive. Um, Some of them have tested positive while they were in Japan and were diagnosed while they were actually in transit. Um, and some have been have tested positive since they've arrived here. And I think they expect more, certainly, of those folks to to test positive. Um, and it's it's that one's alarming too, because, you know, these are cruise ship passengers, and a lot of them were older. Um, and there were there have been deaths among passengers on that cruise ship and people who had very serious illness. So that's, you know, it's definitely cause for concern amongst those individuals. Now they don't pose any real threat to the community. Um, we can talk more about that, but, um, you know, they, they have never been in public meeting with people interacting. They've been in quarantine since they arrived. I'm speaking with health reporters, Aaron Alday and Catherine Ho about the coronavirus. We'll be right back after this. So in California alone, we, we know there are tens of thousands of cases in China or have been tens of thousands of cases in China. And there are more than 300 in Italy alone. In California, how many cases have we seen? So right now, um, as of this morning, we have uh, 25 cases in California. Um, most of those, again, actually, I don't know most, but some of, a lot of them are the cruise ship passengers who are at Travis. Um, everybody who's tested positive at Travis has been moved to a healthcare facility, including several around the Bay Area. Um, and then there have been, you know, I think seven or so cases of people that were not cruise ship passengers who have just been diagnosed by their local public health departments. Kat, you've written about a legal fight over um, some of these infected um, cruise ship passengers who are at Travis Air Force Base and the effort to move them to Southern California for a treatment center. What is going on with that legal fight? So this whole thing started last week when the state started trying to do some contingency planning around if uh, there was a larger number of uh, cases that tested positive at Travis, whether they could send those people to a different site. Um, The reason being you don't want people who have tested positive to stay with the people who have tested negative. They wanted to get them separated. Um, But also most of those people did not need hospitalization because their symptoms were just not severe enough for that. And it you know, may have been a strain on local hospitals. So late last week, um, the city of Costa Mesa, which is in Orange County, um, filed an injunction, seeking an injunction to stop that move because they were worried uh, that the center in Southern California, they were thinking about sending people to is close to residential neighborhoods. And they were concerned that um, there wouldn't be enough security and that it could potentially infect people in their community. And so a judge has decided uh, to not let the transfer of those people happen until at least Monday next week when the court is going to revisit the issue. 
is there real concern for people in the community if they're moving people to a healthcare facility? I mean, is that is that a legitimate fear or is that um, overblown, do you think? I think it might be a little overblown because those people ostensibly would be contained in that site. You know, they wouldn't be going, you know, to the neighborhood and they they're mostly there just to be monitored for a couple of weeks until they test negative. Uh, so, you know, I don't know that that is I can understand the concern, but I think it might be a little overblown. The CDC is also um, coming out with new advisories about, as we said, not traveling to certain countries. What is the state of travel like coming into SFO and to Oakland International Airport right now? Well, so SFO has for a while now had, um, you know, pretty strict um, kind of screening measures in place for people coming from China. And um, I think it's been since the start of the month, uh, the start of February, that anybody who is flying from China to the United States is funneled to one of a handful of airports, including SFO. Um, and then they were all go through a screening process in customs before they're allowed to go home um, and finish their their travel plans. Um, you know, with these new kind of travel restrictions, um, I shouldn't say travel restrictions, travel, travel advisories, um, advising people to, you know, think again about travel to certain countries. It's they haven't instituted any new screening of passengers coming from some of these other countries that are seeing outbreaks yet. Um, but that is certainly something they're talking about. Um, you know, at what point do we introduce screening for people coming from other parts of Asia, from even parts of Europe? Is that even feasible? Um, I mean, I don't know how you funnel all of those passengers to just a handful of airports. Um, but that certainly is is part of the conversation. And, you know, a lot of the things that people are should be thinking about now and are concerned about now when you talk about international travel is this thing is changing so rapidly that what you know, seems fine now might be problematic in a couple weeks, um, especially if you're talking like Europe, you know, just because there aren't any cases in some countries doesn't mean there won't be in a couple weeks. And maybe once you get there, it's not even that your risk of health is going to be that big of a deal, but you could face real major travel restrictions coming back. Um, so that's something that people are think about, thinking about and should be thinking about. Um, I don't know that, you know, people should stop traveling, but you know, certainly maybe look into travel insurance. <laughs> One of the things that you have said repeatedly is that the WHO, the CDC says it doesn't make a lot of sense for everybody to go out and buy masks and be wearing them around the street. For the life of me, I do not understand why that is not a good thing to do. Can you explain why ma why I shouldn't go buy a mask? Well, there's a couple of reasons. One is when you're when we're talking specifically about coronavirus, it's not here. It's just straight up not in the community now. I mean, you can wear a mask if you feel like it, but it's just does literally nothing for you because there's no virus in this community right now. Um, but, you know, the other issue on a global scale now is the masks are frankly in short supply. You know, places that need them are running low, other countries. And, you know, it's a little at this point selfish to be, you know, stockpiling masks for something that isn't even here yet. Um when it offers you no protection and other communities are, you know, don't have ma enough masks to go around for their healthcare workers. Um, so, but, but really it comes down to the fact that it's just not here. It does literally nothing for you. Kat, the markets were down for a second uh, day in the road in a row due to these concerns. Officially now we are in the red uh, over where we ended 
2019 in terms of the Dow. What are the business concerns that we're seeing here in the Bay Area? A lot of the concern is just uncertainty over when this thing is going to end. So, for example, you know, Apple, a lot of their parts are made in China um, and they're anticipating losses with that because they're just not sure when their supply chain is going to be restored. Are, th- are there also a lot of concerns because we have a huge convention business here uh, that people coming in for those won't come in anymore and it will impact local local businesses that rely on people to go have a sandwich or go see a show or do something else in San Francisco while they're here? Right. So the tech uh, community, at least here in San Francisco and Silicon Valley, is very convention heavy. Uh, and we've seen a number of cancellations of companies wanting to come to San Francisco to attend them, as well as um, San Francisco companies who are pulling out of other conferences elsewhere because of kind of worry over travel uh, restrictions. If this continues to grow like it seems like the CDC and the WHO thinks that it will, is there a point at which we just give up on containment? I mean, it seems like we're trying some really extreme measures. It hasn't stopped the spread. At what point is it just... You know, you throw up your hands and say, well, we have to keep operating in a global society and we can't contain this anymore. I mean, I've definitely asked folks that. I think that's a really good question. Um, The answer is that, no, you don't really reach that point. Um, I mean, I suppose in theory at some point down the line, this could become just a seasonal thing like influenza. Um, That would be a long ways down the road. But for now, there's just it's still so new and and it's not here. It's not in the United States. And really, the. What's happening now, what we're seeing with these really extreme measures and what we will likely see when this thing does get here in terms of trying to contain it is we're trying to buy time. So what we're doing is trying to put as much space, give ourselves as much space as we can to develop a vaccine, to develop treatments, um, to just find some way to deal with this thing before it's just massively widespread in the community. Buying time also means possibly getting into spring and summer where some people think this might not be an issue anymore. No, exactly. I mean, ideally, it'd be fantastic if we could put this thing off, not have it get into the United States until the spring and it turns out to be seasonal, which we don't know. That's a big question. But if it were to be seasonal, then you potentially have, you know, six months of lead time to work on this thing and come up with a vaccine and come up with treatments until it potentially, and we don't even know if it will, but it potentially returns in the fall. So that would be massive. That would be huge if we could do that. So that's definitely what they're doing now. The estimates I've seen about a vaccine is that it would take at least a year to develop a vaccine. Is that the best hope? I think that would be best case scenario. Uh, and in the meantime, there is some effort in China to test a antiviral. Uh, one of those is actually made by um, a company here in Foster City, Gilead Sciences. Um, and that potentially could be sooner than a year, uh, but they are still going through uh, clinical trials to make sure that it's safe and effective. And what would what would that be? You'd have to actually have the disease and then it would be a treatment or would it prevent people from getting it? That's right. It would be a treatment. Kat, can you put this in some historical context? I mean, we've had um, a handful of global pandemics over the last century, some of which have been hugely destructive with millions of people dying, others a little less so. Um, it, It sounds very scary. Does the average person have something to fear from this? I think the average person, at least here in the United States, uh, 
should not be living in fear of this. Uh, I think uh, it is being, as far as we know right now, contained in the United States. Most of the people who have been diagnosed here were either on the cruise ship or they had traveled to China recently. And the two exceptions in the U.S. were people who were married to people who traveled to China recently. uh, And we believe they got it from their spouse. So the best question is the last one and the one that everybody wants to know. What, besides washing my hands, besides not getting a mask because it takes it away from somebody who needs it, what else can we do as a city, as a county, as a, as a region, as individuals to help stop the spread? So, I mean, at this point, because, again, it's not in the community, there's not really much to do to stop spread um, other than what you just said, which is just kind of basic hygiene, um, flu season hygiene. But but I think it's it certainly is advisable right now for people to be, you know, looking at their emergency preparedness situation, which we're in the Bay Area. We should all have earthquake preparedness, but a lot of us don't. So right now would be a great time to go and, you know, look at your water supply, look at your food supply. Um, not because you know, we're not going to be able to get those things, but we just don't know what the situation is going to look like in a few months if, you know, you end up quarantined suddenly for a few weeks and, you know, you don't, you don't, you can't leave your house. Um, But you should also be talking to your employer, Audrey, about, (laughs) hey, we have a plan. We have a plan. I emailed you all the plan. We do have a plan. But yeah, you should be talking to your employer about what, what am I going to do um, if, if I'm quarantined or if we're told not to come into work. You should be talking to your kids' schools and or at least checking them out and seeing what their plan is. So those are all things that people can be very proactive about and should be proactive about in terms of preparing for this. What's the next thing that um, that you guys are going to be reporting on in this in this story? I'm working on a story about whether U.S. hospitals are prepared for a pandemic should it reach the U.S., should, you know, large numbers of cases start cropping up here. Um, and so far, I've found that um, there's a lot of kind of protocol that was established during the H1N1 uh, pandemic where healthcare professionals um, wear certain protective gear and they have done drills and simulations on putting that on and taking those off, um, particularly if they work in the emergency department. That is very reassuring to hear. Uh, we'll look forward to that story on sfchronicle.com and um, all of your reports. We have the latest of the coronavirus uh, story. It's a rolling blog that I know you're working on, Kat. Um, we have it on sfchronicle.com. We're keeping it updated nearly 24 hours a day uh, so everybody can check the latest there. Thank you for being on today. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you to Catherine Ho and Aaron Alday for being with me today. Thanks to King Kaufman for producing this episode, and thank you for listening. Fifth Emission is a production of the San Francisco Chronicle. If you like this podcast, please consider becoming a financial supporter of the largest newsroom in Northern California. You can sign up for a San Francisco Chronicle membership at sfchronicle.com slash pod. 